Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer and thank you for joining us. Now, there's no Gab Marcotti this week as he's decided to take a well-earned rest. So he's trusted me to take this on solo. We are going to be with you twice a week this season, our usual edition on a Monday and starting today, Thursdays as well. Looking ahead to the weekend's action in the studio with me today is Mr. James Gearbrandt and down the line, the chief football writer at The Times, Henry Winter. Later on, we'll be joined by the Times Northern football correspondent Paul Joyce to discuss a major injury to Kevin De Bruyne. And Gab may be sunning himself as we speak, but he and I are set to go head-to-head predicting featured games later, not just in the Premier League. But first we start with arguably the game of the weekend. Maurizio Sarri's Chelsea against Unai Emery's Arsenal on Saturday evening. Two men brand new to the Premier League. Chelsea began life under Sarri with a 3-0 win at Huddersfield. But the Gunners misfired against Manchester City. Losers at the Emirates on Sunday. Henry, how much of a disappointment was that first Arsenal performance of the Emery era? Well, it was slightly expected, partly because of the quality of Manchester City, partly because everyone knows it's going to take maybe two or three transfer windows for Unai Emery, who's a very sensible coach and has immediately gone in and realised the issues in goal at the back, um, getting the balance right going forward, and it's, it's going to take a bit of time. So, interesting talking to some of the Arsenal fans on the way out, and they're known as sort of the angry mob around the press box, and they were very calm and say, listen, he's, you know, he, he needs time. There were protests against Arsene Wenger. Um, so you can't immediately lay into the new man. I think if, they're gonna, if there's any tension around Arsenal at the moment or any possible protest, it is towards Stan Kroenke. Partly because of the way he has effectively removed all accountability between the boardroom and the fans by his full takeover. So they can't call him to account anymore. And also because he hasn't given Unai Emery sufficient funds in the transfer window. He's gone out and bought some players, but they're not really at the level that Arsenal needs to strengthen properly. Well, James, what should we be expecting then from an Emery side? Well, I think Emery comes with a reputation as being um, a coach who's quite hot on his defensive organisation. And I think in terms of the way that Arsenal play, I think one thing that we will see that will be quite a striking change from, from the, the last days of Wenger is that I think we'll see them be a lot more combative, particularly in, in central midfield, which really, if, if you remember, was one of the real kind of damning hallmarks of, of the late era of Wenger performances, you know, the way that 
Granite Xhaka and, and, and Jack Wilshire would sort of fly forward and just leaving that, that area in, in the centre of the park sort of completely uncontested. Emery, I think, will place a real premium on putting much more pressure on the opposition there. If you look back at his time at Sevilla, as opposed to his time at PSG, where I think he probably had to compromise his principles a little bit more, but at Sevilla, he very often played with, with two out-and-out defensive midfielders, be it in, in his first season, Mbir and, and, and Carrico, and, and then Mbir and Krikovac, and then finally Krikovac and, and Zonzi. So I think that will be that will be quite a noticeable difference, I think. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned that defensively they've got to improve. Last season, what, 51 goals they shipped, I think Arsenal did. Uh, so Henry, just how big a job does Emery have on his hands? His reputation probably needed improving after you know, recent years for him, PSG and all that. And I think James is right. That, you know, addressing central midfield is going to be one of the key issues. And I think the, the, the obvious quality he's brought in is Torreira. And it'll be good to see him when he's sort of fully up to speed in, uh, in central midfield. I mean, it's disappointing, particularly from, from the fans' perspective, that uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles looks like he's going to be out for six to seven weeks. Um, broken a bone basically trying to keep up with Carl Walker and Maria Mahrez at the weekend but he was playing out of position at left back and I think long term he can be a contender in central midfield less holding probably more attacking but also do have sort of one or two good players but certainly with Torreira it'd be good to see him uh, starting as quickly as possible but also you look at the, the, the fixture list that Emery's been handed. I mean, it's a pretty brutal assault course and welcome to English football with the sort of, you know, the games Manchester City, Chelsea, as you've, you've mentioned. So uh, I think the fans will definitely, definitely be patient. Uh, what was evident from the defeat to Manchester City uh, at the weekend was that Arsenal are trying to play it out from the back. And uh, there was nearly an own goal from, from Peter Cech. And you can read an article about this issue in the build-up to the weekend at thetimes.co.uk written by Mr James Gearbrandt. James, should Peter Cech still be playing? To me, it's surprising that Pelicek started the season. Arsenal spent, all right, not the kind of enormous amounts of money that Chelsea and Liverpool spent on a keeper, but Burton Leno is still the most, the eighth most expensive keeper of all time. And unsurprisingly, the rest of the top ten were, were all brought, as you know, to be, to be the number one. I've been, uh, as, as you say, looking at the issue of Pelicek and whether he fits with an Emery team. Obviously, he's he's getting on a bit been speaking to a guy called Sam Jackson who's a real specialist in sort of advanced goalkeeping analytics and he feels that Petr Cech's distribution is actually quite underrated I think the perception of Petr Cech is that he is sort of a, a good shot stopper and quite a poor distributor. Sam's stats show that Petr Cech is actually an okay distributor possibly even above average but that comes with two pretty hefty caveats the first one being that one of the areas where Czech is quite average is playing out from the back with the ball at his feet in open play, which is obviously the area that there's a real emphasis on in you know a side that likes to play out from the back and beat the press, as, as Emery teams like to do. And the other pretty big caveat is that Bert Leno is an absolutely outstanding distributor as a goalkeeper, and, and he's very, very good at playing out from the back with the, the ball at his feet, even though there are questions about question marks about Leno's shot stopping he certainly fits that element of of what Emery wants from his goalkeeper very very well uh, of course Henry uh, Czech is is a Premier League legend so does he keep his place in the sides under Emery I thought it was very cute by Emery to play him in the first game because 
if he played well, then obviously he then got two good goalkeepers to choose from. If Adachek got caught out, and he, he was certainly caught out for, for one of the goals, and also, as you're saying, almost conceding the own goal, a disease distribution was, was particularly impressive, then, in a way, that can allow um, Emery to bring in Lena saying, well, this is Petacek getting on a bit, 36, 37. But the, but the real issue with Petacek is Arsenal, for quite a long time, have been so short of leaders. Very few captain types. People say Aaron Ramsey is captain Wales, but he hasn't got the personality that you need in a dressing room like Arsenal. Petacek has. So he's getting very popular with the players, very powerful within the club, highly admired by the board. He comes out in difficult times, um, and maybe quite a few in recent years, and, and faces the music with the media. So, you know, he's a very strong individual. So that's a balancing act. But I agree with James. I think Lena has to come in pretty quickly because he is, you know, he is clearly a better goalkeeper. Distribution is, is going to be very important. Slightly worries me that he's not considered a highly regarded shot stopper because I recall that's fairly important for goalkeepers. But, uh, yeah, it looks a decision that uh, Emery has to make. But I just thought it was, it was quite cute playing check in the first game because if he got battered then that would make the, the Leno succession easy. Let's move on to the other new face in the Premier League, Maurizio Sarri, who's had very little time to sort of get his Chelsea side the way he wants it to be coming in in the middle of July. Um, and James, you've written an article about him. He's a bit of a superstitious chain-smoking man. Yeah, I mean, the stories of, of Sarri's superstitions are, are, are quite wild. Um, I actually spoke to a, a, a player of his, a guy called uh, Vincent Larini, who played under him at Empoli, which was the job he had before Napoli. Um, and, and he was saying things like, you know, if they had ham in the canteen one Saturday and they won, they knew they would be having ham again the next weekend. <laughs> There's another story back from, you know, his uh, much earlier, his days in the real lower leagues of, of kind of Tuscan amateur football of him... Uh, having a crucial sort of um, top-of-the-table must-win clash and accidentally driving his car into another player's car. Uh, and they won, and, and he obviously did it again the next weekend <laughs> oh to try, and, to, to try and preserve their, uh, their luck. <laughs> uh, so he's a character, that's for sure. And also, James, you predicted a top-three finish for, for Chelsea this season, and they looked the part against Huddersfield, didn't they? I, I do feel quite optimistic about Chelsea this season. I think, obviously, there is that huge kind of caveat of obviously you know Sarri is he's someone with a very very particular way of playing and you know there's the big question of how long it will take Chelsea to get up to speed with Sarri ball if you like but I think generally looking at Chelsea to me they look in much better much better shape than Arsenal and Manchester United just it to me I think you know, obviously, A, you've got Sarri coming in who is coming off really three outstanding seasons at, at Napoli um, he's he's really a, a, a coach of outstanding pedigree, but I also think, in terms of the you know the, the first eleven, you've got Angolo Conte and and also Jorginho, who's coming from Napoli, both of whom respectively I think are pretty much as good as anyone in world football at the particular roles that they do, and you've got Mateo Kovacic coming in, who I think, you know is pretty much the perfect prototype to be the the third man in that sort of Sarri midfield. You've also got, I mean, I know it's it's always slightly unwise to lay too much emphasis on the World Cup, but you've got Eden Hazard coming off what I thought was an absolutely exceptional World Cup. I thought he was absolutely outstanding. And I do just feel that if there's anyone in the Premier League who might be sort of about to make that leap into the real stratosphere, it might be, it might be Hazard. 
Well, uh, Hazard came off the bench at Huddersfield at the weekend. So, Henry, do we think he's going to start on Saturday? When you've got a player of his quality in a match like this, you know, he likes playing against Arsenal. I, I mean, I think the, uh, the the issue at Chelsea at the moment is at centre forward. I mean, as James was detailing, they've got a lot of strength, particularly in central midfield, with strength and well there. Goalkeeper, definitely. Um, but Morata really has got to raise his game and actually start season games imposing himself more. I mean, he, you know, he's pretty good in the air. We saw at the start of last season that he was an aerial strength. He's got a work on that. They've obviously got to deliver the ball into him slightly differently than, uh, than Conte did. So, uh, no, with Hazard, you, you get Hazard back in there as quickly as possible. You get him back up to speed. I think you'll find with the, with the World Cup players, their dip won't be now. Their dip will be in probably early winter, physically after a long look up. You just look at the FIFA rankings. You know, Hazard helped Belgium get to second place with these performances of the World Cup. So, yeah, I think get him in, start him, and then uh, Chelsea will think Arsenal will be there for the taking of the weekend. So, definitely play Hazard. This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. Every Thursday at thetimes.co.uk, our stats guru, Bill Edgar, provides 11 trivia teasers for you. And we've picked out uh, our favourite for you on this podcast. The teaser today, which two Premier League managers have also played for their present club? Stick around to the end of the podcast to find out the answer. On to our second topic now then, and Tottenham start their home campaign against Fulham at Wembley on Saturday, which was expected to be a one-off as the newly built Tottenham Hotspur Stadium was nearing completion. However, the club announced this week that due to safety concerns, they would not be moving into their new stadium until the end of October at the earliest. This also obviously is going to affect their Champions League group stage campaign as well. They may have to move all three home games uh, to Wembley. Uh, Henry, this doesn't reflect well on the club at all does it? It doesn't reflect well on the club in terms of their relations with the fans. I think they needed far better communication with the fans um, in terms of the considerable outlay that the, the fans and also the you know, the change in their, their routines and also uh, uh, travelling fans as well. But I have to say I'm not particularly sort of enervated about the whole issue because what Tottenham Hotspur and the great history of Tottenham Hotspur are gaining is a fantastic new stadium which is not being moved away from their spiritual home. In six months' time, the stadium will probably be up for awards. People will talk about the atmosphere and how Tottenham have got it right and West Ham have got it wrong and how other clubs will now be visiting the new Spurs Stadium to have a look and to see what's, uh, how they can learn from it. I think if you look at the area itself, I mean, one of the riots started there a few years ago. It's not the most elegant areas of London. It, it needed DLC, it needed investment, and Spurs brought that. I have to say, longer term, I've got more issues in terms of the rail link and the tube link for the stadium with more fans coming up, and that is a concern. Parking is a concern, transport is a concern. But actually, you know, I mean, I'm the son of an architect who worked on sports stadium himself, and I love new stadiums. You know, when they are like this, I think it will be a huge addition to the Premier League, to London, financially, architecturally. And I think once all this has has calmed down, they've sorted out where they're going to play. In a year's time, we'll be thinking, well, isn't it a great addition? So we'll be looking at the positives rather than the negatives. The negatives at the moment is Spurs' pretty shoddy treatment of their own fans. 
Uh, yeah, but, but as you say, by all accounts, this new stadium is, is going to be fantastic. Um, but James, fans are also frustrated by the lack of signings at the club. How does this Tottenham squad measure up going into this season? Well, I mean, much as it really has done for the past couple of seasons, I guess, um, in that I think the first eleven is really, really strong. It's up there with the best first 11s in, in, in the Premier League. When everyone is healthy, I think, you know, they can compete with anyone. The, the issue that they've had that they haven't really addressed, um, and, and it will probably be the issue that, you know, slightly dogs them again this season, is that they don't really have much in the way of depth or options off the bench, probably with the exception, I would say, of attacking midfield, where you've sort of got Ericsson, Ali, Son, Lamella, Lucas Moore. I think they're okay for depth there. But if you look at, for example, the bench that Manchester City had at the weekend, I mean, wow, that, you know, the 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 depth they have got, and I think Tottenham are lagging away behind that. And the other issue that they've got is that they've got they've now got a few players who are kind of falling on slightly the wrong side of the the age curve. I think the likes of, of Moussa Dembele and, and Jan Vertong, and I think are both 31, might be wrong, but I think, yeah, anyway, the the general point stands. Although they've, they've got a lot of, obviously a lot of players in, in the prime of their career, there are one or two who are just sort of getting a little bit older. Well, focusing on that strength in depth, Henry, there are some players' futures who are still up in the air, especially with the European transfer window still open. Toby Alderweireld, Moussa Dembele, uh, Danny Rose, they're all in the final year of their contracts. And bearing that in mind, and with the fact there are no incomings, is it important that they keep that trio as backups? I do find the, 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 the treatments of Alderweireld and, and Rose in particular so slightly strange. Okay, Rose may have wanted to head back north for, for domestic reasons, for financial reasons, but I really think Spurs should have worked harder. You know, Spurs are a truly ambitious club. They want to be winning top prizes. You need to keep a player like Danny Rose. When he's fit and he's focused, he's, he's a fantastic player. I, I'm a huge admirer of Ben Davis as an individual as well as a footballer, but Rose really is a cut above. Alderweireld, too, I think he's one of the best centre-halves in European football when, when he's fit. I think he's an outstanding individual. So, again, I thought Manchester United missed the trick by not pushing more for Alderweireld. I think Spurs really need to hold on to him if they can improve his contract. You know, Daniel Levy is, is a master at the, the last-minute deal, but at some point... You know, he's got to make sure that these players stay long-term. He's done some really good deals in terms of tying down the likes of Harry Kane and, and Maurizio Pochettino to longer-term deals. But it also needs to spread to the individuals like uh, Alderweireld and, and Rose as well. They might just simply one out and Levy will have no chance. But, but, the, but the other thing that Spurs have got, and again, sort of accentuating the positive, is that they've got one or two good kids coming through. And I quite like the fact that there is a strong pathway between the very good academy that they've got the first team of Pochettino who saw how he reacted to Amos the other the other day. I think it's I think it's great when you're seeing these players, and they're not being stuck in because to, to save the, the club money. They've been put in because they have been very well nurtured at the the academy, and because Pochettino sees that they've got a chance. So you know the whole one of their one of our own culture is alive and well at Spurs, and and, and should be encouraged. I agree with James. They probably should have signed a couple more. I thought the Jack Grealish flirtation and then whatever it went cold there was uh, you know was was very strange you know act properly act early act like a big club you know and just go for him 
you know, and, and pay Aston Villa what they wanted. And obviously there was a change of ownership and Spurs got caught out by that. But I thought Jack Grealish would have been a fantastic addition. I, mean, I know he's a really good player, very hungry to do well, and he would have been excellent for them. Uh, on the outside, Maurizio Pochettino certainly seems to be happy, but inside he might be a little bit frustrated by what's been going on behind the scenes. And we all know the work that he's done at Tottenham, and he's a manager that is certainly in demand when you uh, look at some clubs that, you know, like a Real Madrid or a Manchester United that have been touted at looking at Pochettino, James. That's a concern for Tottenham, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose, I, I suppose it is. I mean, I think that's kind of always going to be, you know, when when your manager is successful and you're not, you know, Tottenham are a big, big club, but they're obviously not right at the top of the food chain of European football. So, yeah, I mean, I guess I guess inevitably that, that will be kind of a, a lingering worry. Um, I think it, it's interesting. I think it's a real test for Pochettino. I think one thing that Pochettino is absolutely superb at, and I put him in, in, in the bracket with Jurgen Klopp here is I think they're both absolutely fantastic at sort of projecting positivity which I think is actually so important in football nowadays if you look at you know Manchester United last season for example you know ostensibly they had they had sort of an okay you know pretty good season finished second in the league beat pretty much everyone Um, but you know I think Mourinho's negativity actually really kind of dragged them down I don't think that really works anymore whereas I think what Klopp and Pochettino were really good at um, neither of whom have won a trophy with their current clubs, but I think they're so, so good at projecting that kind of positivity, you know, really convincing the fans and, 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 and the public that the club is on the right track and, and they're moving forward. Um, but I think we ha- you know, this season maybe will be a little bit of a test of that ability of Pochettino's because obviously they haven't signed anyone in the summer transfer window and everybody's a bit restless about that. And obviously now the you know the the stadium issue you know I take Henry's point that you know that will probably be resolved soon and you know we'll probably look back and say it was fine but you know I guess that that kind of adds a, a further layer of complication. Now, as mentioned earlier, Manchester City were imperious in their victory at Arsenal last Sunday, but they suffered a major blow on Wednesday. Last season's Player of the Year, Kevin De Bruyne, has been ruled out for around three months after suffering a knee ligament injury in training. The Times Northern football correspondent Paul Joyce joins us now. And Paul, just how influential is De Bruyne at City? Well, he's massively influential, isn't he? And it's a major blow for for Manchester City, albeit one, I think they can probably absorb. I mean, the fact that De Bruyne has only missed three Premier League games in the last two seasons shows how influential he is to Pep Guardiola. He's the one player to Guardiola probably doesn't rotate and he's entrusted with sort of making City play. So they're going to be facing a new set of circumstances here if he he is out for, for three months. The forthcoming fixtures aren't too testing on, on paper. You know, Guardiola will hope that they can manage without De Bruyne until he comes back in maybe October, November time, if, if the diagnosis when he goes to Barcelona today is correct. Uh, yeah, you've already obviously talked about his influence then. 12 goals and 21 assists last season for him. Mo Salah secured all the major awards last season for his goal scoring. But, uh, Paul, is there an argument to say that De Bruyne is the best player in the Premier League? I mean, it's a very difficult debate, isn't it? I mean... What Salah did last season was extraordinary. I think he deserved the awards. I actually think De Bruyne's influence dropped in the second half of last season. I think he scored one goal after January the 31st, and that was in a 
a 5-0 win over Swansea at home. So I think his numbers decreased a little bit towards the end of the season. Certainly I remember covering the games, the Champions League games between Liverpool and Manchester City and and he wasn't as influential in, in those matches as as obviously City would have hoped. So I think it's, it's difficult to say with, with certainty he is the best player in the Premier League. I mean, looking at it another way and for context, I think Wilfred Zahar scored more Premier League goals than De Bruyne last season in a team that was fighting relegation and would have far less possession than City. So how do you really compare Zahar's sort of contribution on the same footing as De Bruyne? I think all we can say is he's a massively influential player at Manchester City, but I think the star of Manchester City is Pep Guardiola. And I think Pep Guardiola will look at this as almost... It will be a challenge for him to to work out how they move on over these next two months without standards dropping. I think Pep is the key person at Manchester City and they will be able to absorb Kevin De Bruyne's absence. Yeah, James, you've already mentioned earlier about the strength and depth that Manchester City have. So what options does Pep Guardiola have to fill De Bruyne's absence? I think he has a few options. I think possibly the obvious option uh, is maybe Bernardo Silva, who's kind of an interesting player because Bernardo Silva, you know, he had that superb season at Monaco when they won Ligue 1, was, was really playing as a wide midfielder in a, in a four, four, fat, flat 4-4-2. Four, four, and, and indeed last season he played mainly on, on the wing, mainly as a sort of depth option for, for Raheem Sterling. Um, but equally, I think there has been the sense ever since Bernardo Silva arrived at Manchester City that he's really sort of being groomed for the role of, of being David Silva's heir, if you like, um, because I think he exemplifies a, a lot of the qualities um, of a top-class central midfielder. You know, he's very, very technical. He's very nimble. He's got great feet. He's got good vision. Um, and I think certainly, I, I think, you know, even before the De Bruyne injury, I think there was the sense that, you know, this Bernardo Silva might really kick on this season. I think he's obviously, clearly he's one of the most talented players who wasn't really a regular starter last season. And he's coming off, I think, an outstanding pre-season. The other kind of front-line option, I guess, would, would be Ilkay Gundogan, who... Gundogan is someone who's really been sort of... His main role in that Manchester City squad has really been backing up Fernandinho, you know, more as a sort of the most deep-lying or defensive midfielder. But I'm not really sure it's a role that he excels in. He's not really a sort of out-and-out defensive midfielder. And, and I actually, it was notable that a lot of Manchester City's worst performances last season coincided with Gundogan playing. And he, he may actually be better suited to playing he's as more of a passing midfielder in, in that sort of free-eight role that is now going to be vacated by, by De Bruyne's injury. What about Phil Foden? One of these exciting talents, young English talents, only, what, 18 years old. Could this be an opportunity for him at all? I think we would we would all love that to be the case, wouldn't we? I mean, I, look, I don't know. That, that's a simple answer. Um, I don't suspect that he's the first name in Pep Guardiola's mind, but equally, you know, I suppose he did play him in the Community Shield. He has sort of, you know, shown various signs of, of faith in Phil Foden. I think were Phil Foden to see at least some more minutes, even if he's not necessarily a regular starter over the next few months but I think worried to see a few more Premier League minutes I think that would be huge for England that's you know I think the one area that the World Cup 
really exposed a lack of for England is that control, creativity in central midfield. We really lack those players in English football. And I think Phil Foden, actually Gareth Southgate probably really wouldn't have, I don't think, expected him to play a big role this season. But I think certainly over the coming seasons, he's one that Southgate will be watching really closely because he could be you know, a really key player for England. Yeah, and Paul, obviously we don't like to think of anyone celebrating an injury, don't like to hear about players getting injured, but some Liverpool and United fans will feel that this uh, De Bruyne uh, issue is going to be a major boost to their title hopes, won't they? Yeah, I suppose so. But I mean, just following on from what James was saying then, I mean, I just jotted down a, a front sort of six that Pep could play this weekend, and that's, you know, Fernandinho, the two Silvers, Sterling, Aguero, Sané. And there's no Foden, no Maras, no Delft, no Gabriel Jesus, no Gundogan. So, obviously, no team wants to lose one of the best players, and that will give, you know, you know, heart to the other side. But there's still plenty of strength and depth in there for, for Guardiola to choose from. And I think it's Liverpool, Manchester City, October the 7th. City's games before then are Huddersfield home, Wolves away, Newcastle home, Fulham home, Cardiff away. Brighton home so you know I think most people would, would expect them to even without Kevin De Bruyne win the majority of those games so yeah I think Liverpool and, and Manchester United I think Liverpool more than Manchester United I think Liverpool are better set up to, to challenge City this season I think United have got a lot of well documented problems but Liverpool more than many clubs know how injuries can sort of flare up at any time there without Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain for a year and he, he got injured at crucial stage last season so I think they just have to concentrate on themselves and and not take heart from, from any setback City, City have at this stage of the season. And Paul, you work on Merseyside so do Liverpool fans feel that maybe after 29 years this could be their year of winning the title? I think there's a there's a there's always an optimism at the start of the season in each of those 29 years that, that have passed. Really, I think what the what Liverpool fans feel now is that the club's sort of better placed than it has been in many of those years. I think Jurgen Klopp's brought everything together. He's sort of mobilised the club into one unified unit. He's bought very well, but there was a 25 point gap between Liverpool and Manchester City last season, so. The Liverpool team still still quite young, has to deal with pressure of being seen as the natural competitors to City. That brings its own challenge. But I think, I mean, there's a lot of talk about you know Klopp has to win a trophy this season and to, to justify the spending. I think Liverpool fans are just enjoying a team that performs on the front foot, that gives value for money, offers entertainment. I think they think they can they can push City hard, but. You know, from personal experience, they've thought that many times in the since 1990, and it's not come off. So there's optimism, but I think it needs to be tempered with a little bit of caution as well. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi there and welcome to The Sweeper, which is the Times' fancy football tips service. We're back for the Southern New Premier League season. My name is Charlie Scott and I'm joined as ever by Paddy Bombay. Hello. And yeah, we're here to provide our tips for the season going forward. So game week one, what were you impressed by, Paddy? Well, um, what we expected to be impressed by, really. Man City made light work of Arsenal. Uh, They've got some lovely fixtures coming up. Plenty of points there. And Liverpool, of course, what can we say? We knew that uh, Salah, Firmino and Mane would score big points at some point. Mane was the big one in game week one, but they're all going to be pretty productive going forward, I should think. Yeah, so City, I mean, Benjamin Mendy was outstanding offering far more of a threat than Fabian Delft had done the left last last season getting two assists in his first game who else in that City team would you be looking at going forward well Sterling looks like a good one no one was expecting him to be straight in the team after the World Cup but um, he's 11 million and owned by what 3% of managers 3.1% yeah he's, he's already the... scored a goal and um, and he had 11 touches in the box last week which is um, bettered only by Callum Wilson of Bournemouth so he's already getting in the thick of it that sounds good to me so Raheem Sterling is a differential who would have thought that game week 2 I think stand up fixtures in terms of FPL points City Huddersfield obviously you've got Bernardo Silva he's the man who will probably step up after Kevin De Bruyne got injured yeah it looks like De Bruyne's possibly going to be out for a couple of months my first advice on that generally if you're under De Bruyne would don't be rash don't make a transfer just because you feel that you have to if you've got a good bench you could always let someone sub in this week you can do a lot more with two free transfers next week than you can with one now but if you want to swap him straight for Bernardo Silva or Sterling if you can afford it or possibly just Mane who's only half a million cheaper and already on form then by all means go for that but yeah Bernardo Silva surely is going to capitalise from that absence and another game week two game that looks pretty tasty to me is Liverpool against Palace Palace decent in game week one but Liverpool just they tore West Ham apart they're going to do the same again aren't they yeah I think so um, always Captain Salah is the uh, the mantra I think that's <laughs> what I'll be doing just to just to play it safe um, you can pretty much rely on Liverpool to score points every week and if they're keeping clean sheets then guys like Andy Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold are going to be pretty profitable too I'm a bit worried about Alexander-Arnold though I feel like he's not going to be first team regular I don't know he had a very good season last year got himself in the England squad he's a bit more risky than Robertson but he's a million pound less so yeah yeah that is enticing and uh, another one not one of the big ones but Bournemouth looked very good going forward last week and they're playing West Ham who as we mentioned conceded four against Liverpool I can see Bournemouth scoring can't you yeah Ryan Fraser was one of our uh, lesser priced tips last week at five and a half million he got a goal and 11 points total uh, Callum Wilson goal and an assist and Josh King is uh, is surely going to score a couple of goals at some point so there's plenty of options in their squad as well and uh, just remind people how they can sign up for the sweeper yeah it's very simple you just go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash fantasy football uh, or find the link in the podcast description uh, pop your email address in we'll send you an email every Friday full of tips captaincy ideas and all sorts of other stuff and we've also got a Facebook page that you can join the fun on there just search for the sweeper and we will add you to the group and you can send us screenshots of your teams or ask us for our tips and we will get back to you as soon as we possibly can Okay, this season, Mr. Marcotti and I will be going head-to-head on a Thursday. We're going to pick five games from around the globe and try to predict 
the scoreline. Uh, we'll keep score throughout the season and see who comes out on top. And the games that have piqued our interest this week are Chelsea versus Arsenal, Cardiff versus Newcastle, and West Ham versus Bournemouth from the Premier League. Also, Barnsley versus AFC Wimbledon in League One, a game that the Times Football League expert Gregor Robertson will be attending. And Cristiano Ronaldo's Serie A debut for Juventus away at Chievo. Gab has been kind enough to file his predictions from his holiday. So, over to you, Gab. All right, Natalie, uh, let's do this. As I'm terrible at predictions, and as I understand it, you've won several predictions leagues, but um, against my better judgment, let's do this. So, West Ham and Bournemouth, I got the Hammers winning 2-1. Pellegrini must be uh, absolutely uh, shocked by what we saw last week. Those weren't the real Hammers uh, at home. Uh, given how wonderful the uh, stadium formerly known as the Olympic Stadium is, I'm sure they'll go ahead and uh, and win this. I got them winning 2-1. Cardiff and Newcastle, nil-nil. Uh, Warnock, uh, a tight. That's what we keep telling us. And uh, and I think Rafa away from home will settle for the point. Chelsea and Arsenal, 2-0. The sorry bandwagon rolling on. I think Arsenal have issues. And uh, Chelsea, not that good to play against. And Eden Hazard. I'm assuming he's going to start at this stage, no? Barnsley and Wimbledon. Um, hey, going on the lower leagues, your territory. I'm going to go with Barnsley winning 2-0 because, well, the top of the league, but also because I think good things happen to good people. We've all been uh, struck by the story of uh, the chief executive, Gautier Ganai, uh, writing a letter to the fans suffering from depression. And finally, Ronaldo's debut, Kievo and Juventus. I got Juve winning 1-0 on the road because, hey, That's how they do. Can you do better? I'll try my best. As you say, I do have a decent record when it comes to these prediction leagues. And this is what I'm going for. First of all, at the London Stadium, I'm going to go for a narrow West Ham 1-0 win over Bournemouth. That's the same scoreline for Newcastle, who I think are going to put one past Cardiff. I think Chelsea against Arsenal, that's going to be fascinating with the two new managers. But I do think uh, that Chelsea's home advantage will stand them in good favour. Arsenal, I think, are going to score, but Chelsea are going to win 2-1. Barnsley, well, they're going well, aren't they, already? They haven't conceded in the league as of yet. Daniel Stendhal doing wonderful work at uh, Oakwell, and I'm going for a resounding 3-0 win for Barnsley. And I do think Cristiano Ronaldo is going to inspire Juventus to a 2-0 win at Chievo, and I wouldn't be surprised if a certain Ronaldo scores as well on his debut. Just time to give you the answer to Bill Edgar's trivia teaser. We asked you which two Premier League managers have also played for their present club. It was Eddie Howe of Bournemouth and Mark Hughes of Southampton. That is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, James Gearbrandt, Henry Winter and Paul Joyce. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet for only £8 for eight weeks. Search The Times subscription for more information. Now, we will be back on Monday in the company of Gab Marcotti once again. Guess what? I'm going on holiday. But as I said, we'll be back on Monday. So see you then. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.